Well, hello, Brad fans. What is up? How you doing? I hope you are doing well. I have a real treat for you with this episode. It was my pleasure to welcome Hamish Tweed, a technical dive instructor and team lead for the Deep Glass Sponge Research Team. So if you happen to catch episode 15 of the In Conversation, Too Brad For You In Conversation series, um, they're all on the same feed. You will know that I spoke to the documentary filmmakers behind Moonless Oasis. And my apologies to those guys, Nate and Bryce. I continually mess up the name of the movie and call it Moonlight Oasis. It is Moonless Oasis. You can go to the website there and check out uh, all the stuff about that documentary if you haven't heard that episode. But basically, they followed Hamish Tweed for about a year. Um as he and his team of citizen scientists were doing deep sea dives off the west coast to document the deep glass sea sponge reefs that were discovered there i think as hamish points out in maybe maybe as far back as the mid 90s anyway these sponges are you know sea sponges are some of the most ancient forms of life on the planet they're really weird uh deep sea creatures that look like look like plants but they're filter feeders they bring in water through their pores and filter out plankton and bacteria and stuff so they are animals but they look you know it's kind of like when you see a coral reef or something like that they're these stationary animals that stick to the bottom or stick to rocks stuff like that and they filter in in water so there's these type of glass sponges on the uh, west coast they're named such because they incorporate silica into their body so they have this glass uh, element um, and yeah they've been discovered they're a very interesting form of life they're an ancient form of life they were thought to be extinct they play an important role in filtering the water of carbon um, and just being part of the ecosystem providing habitat and stuff but because they're so rare um, not a lot is known about them so and on the west coast they they're they occur at these very deep death depths so you need very technically trained divers to go down there and document them. And that's what the subject of the documentary Moonless Oasis was. And the guy doing it, doing the diving, organizing the dives, is Hamish Tweed. And my goodness, is he just a treat to talk to. Filled with enthusiasm and information about these creatures and about diving. Uh, we talked about the challenges of diving as well as the sponges. And he, you know, is, is also not a biologist. He's not a scientist. He's a diver. He's a trained diver. But he has learned so much about these sponges and has just kind of got, you can see, he's kind of got sucked into this world because, you know, in some cases, as he explains to it in the episode, He's one of the first people, if not the first person, to ever visit these locations. So really groundbreaking stuff. So it was a real treat to to talk to him. Um, I, I'm, I know you will enjoy it. You can check out the Deep Glass Sponge Research Team on Facebook. Uh, it's linked on the website. And you can follow them on Instagram to get a, an idea of what these things look like and some of the great footage and stuff that they're getting at at deep glass sponge on instagram um hamish also points out the marine life sanctuary society are playing a big role in this work too and they're a really important group 
nonprofit group on the West Coast that are, are involved in all sorts of um, conservation work. So you should check them out at mlssbc.com. That's the Marine Life. Hang on. Marine Life Sanctuary Society. There we go. It's a mouthful. A lot to get. A lot to get through in the intro on this one. So um, I hope you enjoy the episode. Please do go check out both of those uh, uh, websites, the Marine Life Sanctuary Society, mlssbc.com, and the Deep Glass Sponge Research Team on Instagram and Facebook. Just type that in, you'll find them. Um, yeah, and check out what they're doing. There's some great pictures. There's ways that you can donate and help out in protecting some of these you know, coastal environments. All right, having said that, you know what to do. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, too Brad for you. Uh, you can follow me if you want at bvampiredon. You can get in touch with the show on either of those uh, platforms. So Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at too Brad for you. We have an email set up, too Brad for you at gmail.com. and the website, of course, is too Brad for you wordpress.com. Go to any of those places. Hit us up. Let us know what you think ask a question, start a conversation. We will put it on air if we can. And um, wherever you get in your pod- podcast, just like, subscribe. Don't miss an episode. Leave us a comment. Give us a rating. That would be great. We're starting to make some moves in some of the charts. The Canadian Natural Sciences podcast chart. I think we, were, we hit 45. It was our highest. So, hey, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Um, that's it. That's it for me. You will enjoy this conversation, so you're welcome. And my my sincerest of thanks again to Hamish Tweed for being here. I so enjoyed this talk, uh, and I know you will too. Here we go. All right, all right. Hamish Tweed, thank you so much for reaching out and uh, for being here today. It's great to have you. Oh, thanks very much for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Yeah, so you know, we we I I did in an episode as um, some listeners may know, maybe they caught it uh, with the filmmakers behind Moonlight Oasis, which was covering the deep sea glass sponges on the west coast. So they were specifically following you know you. Hamish and, and your and your dive team mm-hmm. um, going down and looking for these glass sponges. So maybe you can like just you know, give like, yeah, sort of a brief, again, setup of like what exactly the team is and what you're looking for over there on the West Coast. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we we actually got uh, started the team um, almost eight years ago, eight years this winter. Um, and the, the sort of the way the story starts is uh, I was approached by a fella whose name is Glenn Dennison. And Glenn is uh, one of the first people to discover that we had glass sponge reefs um, here, right in uh, in Howell Sound in our backyard. And so, um, the, the initial discoveries were made by Glenn uh, back in the mid '90s. Um, and it's my understanding at first uh, they didn't know exactly what they had; they just knew that they they were. Glenn was writing a book at the time about uh, diving different types of reefs. Um, and dive sites uh, here in the Sound, and he's been diving in, in in the area for about 40 years, and so they stumbled across um, some glass sponge, um, what we call a glass sponge sponge garden. So that would be a series of these animals um, that are sort of clustered together in groups, 
And uh, so, you could, I mean, glass sponge in itself is not all that rare. We have, we have it all over BC, um, usually in slightly deeper water. And uh, these animals will attach themselves to some bad rock and then will actually kind of grow. Um, and sometimes you'll have, like I said, several animals together, and that's called a sponge garden. And even that, now that's, that's kind of rare. Um, and you don't, you just, it's not, you know, you don't see it everywhere. Um, but what gets to be really unique about this animal is when these gardens will actually, um, you know, you'll, you'll get, let's say 10 or 11 of these animals and they're fa fairly close proximity. And as this animal dies, naturally its body will they sort of harden up and they break down, they get all uh, brown and gray colored. And what happens is their body gets kind of cemented into the um the bottom of the uh of that bedrock and it'll mix with you know different types of um of uh sediment in the, in the bottom and what'll start to happen then is it now new sponge will start to grow from that dead that dead sponge is laying there and this, hmm. this process uh, is very slow it takes a lot of time um and but but eventually they sit to form an actual reef so new sponge growing on dead sponge and, and literally growing on its own ancestors and this goes on for generations and generations and generations so that's interesting yeah so that's what what a, what a glass sponge reef is and uh so glenn sort of stumbled into discovering that we had it here now this is a big a deal <laughs> um you know there is some top scientists around the world who are studying um the ancient some ancient glass sponge reefs in other parts of the world that had long gone uh, or died out so it was there mm -hmm. almost as a fossil really and uh there hadn't been any uh fossil record of glass sponge reefs for about 40 million years uh, give or take <laughs> so wow. yeah so that's really like saying you know um hey look you're, you're, you're studying a bunch of uh, bones from some dinosaurs um, but we just uh, happened over here to find some living dinosaurs that were, you know, in this, uh, you know, forested area that no one ever, knew, you know, no one discovered or knew about. Uh, so that's really what's kind of, you know, that's how old these animals are. In fact, um, it's my understanding too that uh, they actually go back on the fossil record uh, 580 million years. So they are thought to be one of the very first forms of life on our planet. And at one time, our oceans were full of them. And now we've come down to um, four or five sites in the entire world that we know of that these glass wow. sponge reefs exist. And uh, what makes it also really special for us here in Vancouver and, and really special for Glenn's discovery is that here we are um, with these, uh, you know, uh, several reefs that are actually reachable by divers. The other mm -hmm. sites that do exist in the world that have glass sponge are in around the depth ranges uh, well depending if you're metric or, or imperial but we're talking anywhere from about a thousand meters to three thousand feet deep so wow. most submersibles or even submarines aren't going to you know don't have the capability of getting down there um so in for divers it's absolutely a possibility we're, we're not going to do that so um yeah, yeah. so that's 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 kind of the big deal and that's that's all that came about in the mid 90s and then glenn contacted me in 2012 and um said to hey hamish i've 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 got this discovery we've got some video footage of the sites um and that was done with just a drop camera so they just sort of you know they have put a camera overboard what's got some lights on it and uh they, they just reel it out and uh, mm -hmm. once they make sort of some contact with the ground they can sort of you know they turn the lights on and they can see that these are there's, there's a glass sponge reef there but as you can imagine that kind of video footage you're on it's you know you're doing it off the front of a boat 
So the bow is going up and down in the waves. Mm -hmm. um, it's very two dimensional looking because you're, you're just, you're shooting something straight down. Um, right. it, it's great for what we call ground truthing to, to, to send this machine down there to take a look, Hey, do we have glass sponge? And then next question is, is it a sponge reef or just a garden or just a couple few animals? Um, and so that saves us a lot of time. And, and that's what Glenn, uh, that's mainly what he has been doing for a number, actually really over a number of decades was going around to try to try, Hey, I found one of these uh, reefs here in the sound. Could there be more? Is there a possibility? Um, and so he spent time going out and doing this. So he, you know, he, he consult his charts, finds some seamounts. And these are these are large, uh, like a landmass you can imagine, almost yeah. like a pinnacle that comes up from the the bottom of the seafloor. So you know, it'll come from anywhere from 800 to 600 feet in depth, and come all the way up. And then the top of the seamount may sit at maybe 200 feet or 60 meters, or in some cases, uh, you know, down to 330 feet or 100 meters. Wow. Um, and so that's the top of the bound. And so he would do is say, okay, here we are. Let's take a look. And a lot of cases you find nothing. Um, but then, you know, after enough time, you'd find one and then connect it to another. And, and so right now we're currently, there's uh, 17 sites that are known. Um, wow. yeah. 17. So, so Glenn, what was his, was he like a biologist or something? Like what was his interest in this? Or was he just again, like sort of, Hey, I just find this stuff interesting. Yeah. He, he was a, I mean, he's, he's a scientist. Uh, he, he worked at uh, the university of British Columbia, um, but he mm -hmm. wasn't in the biology department, um, but he was in sciences and, uh, but he's lived uh, on the coast here, um, you know, with his daughter, um, uh, for you know decades and was a was a really an enthusiastic diver and so mm -hmm. he, i guess he was just writing a book uh, about various dive sites he just wanted to share some of the sites he'd found over the years diving with other people and so he was writing this book and, and doing some exploratory dives like hey let's pull up the charts let's let's you know get in the boat let's go out and, and try diving the site and see if it's uh, if it's any good and that's uh he was actually diving with his daughter when um he found some of the very first glass sponge sites so, uh, and then that it, at that point, he actually kind of kept it to himself. He, he knew he'd found something special. He, yeah. he talked to, um, a gentleman named Jeff Marley from Vancouver Aquarium at the time he worked there. And, uh, Jeff is a sponge specialist and had just actually written a paper about the differences between a glass sponge bioherm or reef and a uh, sponge garden. So that there is differences. And yeah. uh, Glenn contacted him. He'd read the paper and contacted him and said, Hey, you know, I've, uh, <laughs> I've seen this and Jeff, I think I've got something for, yeah. for you. And Jeff's like, Oh no, 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 you, know, you must be mistaken. So it was, it was a collaboration into two of them and, uh, identified in fact, yeah, there really is glass sponge reefs here in the sound. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so like the idea that there would be some people, you know, for the people that studied this, they're current knowledge or knowledge of it was like this phenomenon, this like particular growth pattern of making this reef, this glass sponge reef hasn't existed for 40 million years. And then to get, you know, some, not to like put, not to sound disparaging or other, mm -hmm. but some guy in his boat that's just loves <laughs> diving is just like, Hey, I just made the discovery of a lifetime that, you know, all the people in the lab, wish they wish they could have done for, you know, years. I mean, it's yeah. really, it's quite that serendipity is quite, quite cool and so then you got contacted because you yourself are uh, a diver like you're a specialist diver technical diver that's your right training and so 
I'm very ignorant to the dive world. I've never done it. It looks really cool. But from, I'm guessing, technical diver, you specialize in difficult dives. So these depths, I imagine the water's quite cold. That adds something else to it. So what's like the, what's your specialty that you bring to the team uh, and why they kind of approached you, you know? Yeah. So uh, Glenn, um, he approached me and uh, I mean, we, we'd sort of, you know, it, the dive community here is not huge. Um, so mm-hmm. most people will know each other, especially if you've been around for a while. And uh, he knew me as a deep diver and, and had, you know, I was instructing other people on how to, how to conduct deeper dives. And uh, so he just came to me and said, look, I've, I've, I've got this discovery. We've got um, this drop cam footage, but it's not very interesting. Like, I mean, as, as, a, as a sort of a maybe a scientist, sure. But yeah. a, as your average person or even a diver, you know, you, you want something where you can actually see yourself um, in that place. And that, that mm-hmm. is a much more of a three-dimensional shot. So um, if, if we're able to actually dive down onto those reefs um, and we can get a lot closer to them, we can put a diver in that image next to that sponge. And as soon as we do that, it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. Now we can tell the size of the sponges, or we can tell the size of the fish that are next to the sponge in the shot. And so that was sort of what I could bring to the table for him. So he asked me if I'd put together a, you know, a small group of, of uh, capable people, and could you go down and get some images? Now, the, the other secondary to that is um, once we get those images, uh, Glenn could give these images um, or show these images to the departments of ocean and fisheries here in Canada and their, their job is to take care and, and manage our oceans. Um, and they're, they're, uh, you know, part of the government. And so really longer term looking for protection. And that was what Glenn's goal was. Um, if mm-hmm. we can, if we can educate people that these things exist and that we can then take this information to our, to the, you know, the local authorities and sort of say, Hey, they exist. They're here we need to now take steps or that's what they'd like to see. So with all that work, Glenn's hard work, actually in, in 2019, um, they uh, protected nine of the reefs um, that uh, Glenn had found. So, yeah. And that's, so that was a big step. Um, and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. so that's, and I'm just a small part of that in, in going down to try to get, to get those images to help out. So that's, yeah, that's essentially, that's what we're doing. Uh, the first dives we started doing back in 2000 and, and actually it was, it rolled into 2013 by the time we, we got a chance to early uh, February, actually, uh, 2013, when we started making our first dives. And we picked some of the kind of what I'd call the lower hanging fruit, maybe a couple of the easier dives to do, uh, just to yeah. let ourselves get acquainted to, um, you know, going down and, and visiting these animals and, and their habitat. They're, it's a it's a bit of a trick. It, it's not, I mean, people uh, sometimes will hear the depth and think, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, that's a deep dive, and it is. But there's just so many other things going on at the same time these animals depend on current that's uh, mm-hmm. what brings them their food essentially so you imagine you're on the top of this seamount you know you're in 230 feet of water about 65 70 meters of water and on the top of this seamount you've got current passing back and forth four times a day three to four times a day right. and and so with that that current passes over the top of that reef it's um it actually forms a bit of sort of, of suction, and the water is pulled through the these uh, through the uh, the uh, animals' bodies, um, right. and then the the current is pulled through, and the water gets pulled back out of their bodies. And so what they're doing is they're they're uh, actually sifting through and grabbing the bacteria 
that lives in plankton, if you believe it or not. So it's it's really it's really an interesting thing that's going on, and uh, but because of that current, it's a real challenge for us. So you've got depths. We've got you mentioned earlier kind of cold water. Water's cold. It's about seven degrees or about you know forty-seven Fahrenheit or, or you know seven Celsius. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on three to four different life support equipment that we have to manage at any given time. And we're not using it all at once, but we're, we, we do use it all as we're, we're making our way back up to the surface. Right. Um, you're in complete darkness. So all the light um, that you see in any of the videos we shoot, is all completely brought down by us. Um, it has to be managed most of the time by at least one or maybe two other people on the bottom uh, of the dive. So we might have what I call two lighting people, uh, uh, the model, the diver we're going to take the shot of, and then <laughs> and then I'm usually behind the camera. So, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a choreographed event going on there too. And and because we're underwater and because we're in pitch blackness, communication is always a really hard kind of fun thing to deal with. So it's usually a series of flashing lights or or hand gestures. If I light my I light my own hands up and then make hand gestures to people, but that means as soon as I do that, the light's coming back at me and I can't see them. So you know, right. I, I have to get your attention. And then I got to turn the light back on myself and I got to go through a series of signals that let you know what my intentions are. And then I usually look back at you and you signal back to me and say that you've understood what I'm communicating. So imagine that whole process, it takes a lot, lot longer to communicate or get anything done. And then we also have uh, extremely limited bottom times. Um, we, for every minute that we're on the bottom, give or take, it's about cost us about three minutes of decompression to come back up. So we have to let you know, all these, all these inert gases we've taken on at that depth come back out safely. Um, right. So that's, yeah, there's a lot going on. So we, we've maybe about a 30 minute bottom time. So you imagine somebody's shooting um, and, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you've got a film crew, um, people stand around 12, 14 hours all day to get a couple of shots, you know, yeah. and then edit through it. And from that, they might have 20 seconds of what they want to show. So, by the time we get down, we find the animal or animals we want to take a shot of. We get the lighting set up. We get the diver in place. We shoot. I might shoot from a couple different angles. We're done. So we may, be, we may get 15 minutes every time we go out and do a dive like this. Wow. Uh, to get something usable. And then from that, generally, <laughs> you, you pull a couple of minutes that you might use. So, yeah, yeah it's yeah, a yeah. full process. Yeah, that's in ah man, that's incredible. Cause yeah, I mean, I I I was aware of like you know how how difficult the depth is, and mm-hmm. you know that you have to take time coming back up. You can't just shoot back up. You know, you get the yeah. bends or whatever, right? That's right. Um, but I never would have thought of the communication. I mean, it makes perfect sense now that mm-hmm. you're you're telling me that it's pitch black. I mean, that that makes sense. Yes. But uh, yeah, that communication thing. And I think again, too, like just watching movies or something, I would be like, oh, there, there must be a radio. Like there, there must be a way to have a radio down there or something. But <laughs> that's, you know, movie stuff, right? So that's yes. really, really interesting. Yeah. So the guy, so then the people that you, you select to sort of do this with you, like you said, the dive community is small, yes. but it's kind of, probably i'm assuming um kind of a select group of people that can that can actually work in this environment that are trained to do this type of thing and that was one of the interesting parts of the film action i mentioned that in the last episode but i'll bring it up to you because you Mm. were kind of involved in it is there was a moment where you know pretty dramatic moment where there was some concern about and i didn't even really fully understand what the actual problem was but there was everyone was concerned and it was a kind of a very tense dramatic moment in the film yeah but um yeah so i don't know maybe you could just speak to that and sort of the level of sure. 
cooperation, trust that everybody mm -hmm. has going into this kind of thing? Absolutely. It's you, you do have to um, you do have to trust the people you're with. Um, you know, and most of the time it, it's even it's not even what I'd call these. These are primary dives. Where we're going to, to collect video footage um, where we have to train outside that as well. So um, it's getting together on a regular basis and, and going out for dives and practicing um, what we just call skills. They're basically like a, like a technical skill. You're you're um, simulating if you had problems happen at depth, how collectively as a group are we going to deal with them? Right. And so it's, it's been it's practicing things through a number of different scenarios. And you probably, we probably spend, you know, 10 times more practicing, you know, than we do on some of these deeper dives that we'll do because you need to be ready for them. So that, that particular mm -hmm. incident, um, that was, uh, so there was three of us on the bottom. There's three, three divers that day. So we were going to have, um, our lighting, a person running lighting and a person like, I, I joke, I say the, I say, I say the model, but it's, it's the person yeah. who's you know, going to get me in the shot. And then I was on camera, um, running the camera. And, uh, as we were coming down, I noticed that, um, she fell on a formation. So normally like we, we, I, I call it falling. We're, we're falling down this line. So we'll uh, back up here a second. So what happens is there's a, a little piece of lead. Uh, maybe like a two pound mm -hmm. piece of lead and that there's a, there's a, a very small line, um, a nylon, a strong, but nylon line and attached to that is uh, a float that's, that floats on the surface. So it's just a small float. And mm -hmm. so Glenn will come out and he'll mark a site for us. So the idea is we want to, um, come down and come right next to be right next to the reef. We don't want to land on it. We want to come next to it. And so he'll put a shot line down and that, that line is just basically just, just a bit of a reference. We don't, we don't, we can't touch it because we, we, we would drag it. We'd move it if we did. So right. we just use that as a reference. And we know if we just stay with this line, as we fall down the water column, we're going to see, you know, and it takes, usually it takes three or four minutes. We're going to see the bottom or the top of that sea mount. Uh, come up right right and then so it's just like a ladder kind of a guide a visual guide to yeah down there yeah exactly it's just a guide and then so as, as we get closer to the bottom we'll, we'll see the bottom come up and we'll see usually see this this the sponge reef off to the side and then we can just sort of glide over towards it and, and then it'll start up our search to see what we're going to film um and so as we were coming down that line, she fell on a formation and I noticed it. And then you can actually see, uh, you, you may, you may know, may notice it may not. Um, but, uh, she sort of got in behind me and mm -hmm. I guess on the way down, she started having some trouble. She was breathing kind of hard and, uh, that, that generally what it'll do is, um, um, if you start breathing hard or breathing a little bit light, you can get uh, a CO2 buildup and CO2, um, will it does a number of things um but it it'll, it'll add to what we call nitrogen narcosis so uh, at that depth um breathing nitrogen which is uh, of course the majority of what we breathe on the surface um be, starts to become narcotic we don't know why that is we just know that it is um and it, i would equate it to um, drinking alcohol in fact um and so you know imagine you know if you had two or three beers you certainly wouldn't go out and drive your car but here we are underwater operating <laughs> <laughs> life, yeah. life support equipment and, and trying to do a job while we're there you know and so yeah so yeah so as she came as we came down and we started and as you get deeper of course the the pressure around you increases and the the pressure even on the gases that you're breathing 
Um, and so we compensate by that by doing a bunch of gas mixing. We're not we're certainly not breathing air at that depth. Air would be toxic. Um, it would kill you. So wow, okay. we actually um, add helium to our gas mixture, and we're, and we're removing the nitrogen and we're adding helium. It's a much more forgiving gas, and it's not nearly as narcotic. And then we also reduce the amount of oxygen that we're breathing uh, because that also becomes um, toxic. And uh, the just even that amount of oxygen in, um, in regular air would also or could kill you. It, it might not, but you're, you're really you're sort of rolling the dice at this point. So yeah. Not, why not bother doing that? Yeah, that's right. We're not we're not there to do that. We're not we're not jumping, you know, the Grand Canyon on a motorcycle. We're <laughs> exactly we're, we're yeah. trying to take something inherently dangerous. Yes. But we're trying to make it as absolutely safe as we possibly can. That's mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. part of it. So so but, but in that case, um, you, somebody's having an off day. Um, and, and as we got towards the bottom, she just sort of passed us and went down beside us and kind of thumped, I guess I'd call it in, into the sort of ground, the mud on the ground there. We were still yeah. on the, we were still on the side of the reef there and she sort of thunk into the bottom, but obviously it got our attention right away that this is not something that's, uh, it's not normal. This is not it's a not normal not. behavior. Yeah. We, 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 um, you know, at first I thought she had just made a mistake and, and, and didn't, you know, kind of slow down enough. And, yeah. uh, but then when she wasn't really responding the way we expect her to, um, that's when we got in there and, and my other dive buddy grabbed her and, you know, moved her up off and, you know, and, and, uh, you can sort of, you can hear some of the video there, there you can, there's a little mm -hmm. bit of yelling going on between the two of them trying to communicate, what, what are you doing? Why are you laying here? Yeah. And it was, and we got, we got her back up the line and, uh, we decided just to call the dive. That's, that was not, yeah. we wanted to, to stick around. So unfortunately at, at, at you know, it's, it's a rarity, um, but that's why we train. That's why um, we have to be ready for this sort of thing to happen. Um, she admitted later on, I mean, we, we had a good sit down afterwards and she said, you know, she just started a new job the week before. She was feeling a little bit of um, apprehension on the dive. We had a film crew out there filming us that day. So we had extra people on the boat. Um, so it's a lot a of this pressure, and pressure, like distraction. That. And I, she even yeah. said afterwards, she goes, no, I, I don't, I don't think I should have been there. And I said, I, 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 I can see that now, obviously, but, uh, there's also that pressure, you know, you don't want to let your team down and, uh, right. but, uh, you know, you don't want to be the person to pull the plug and, uh, you know, ruin that day or whatever, but that's, those are the things we do have to do. We have to make that call. If we're not up to it, we got to pull ourselves out of there and say, I, I shouldn't be here today. Um, you know, and and we just have to make a, a different plan out of that. But anyway, it's it's uh, it was all good. It was a, it was a learning experience for everybody as well. In that um, um, we knew having something like that go wrong um, that we pulled together, and uh, mm -hmm. I mean everybody was fine. We got back up, and once we actually got off the bottom, things uh, went back to normal pretty quickly. Um, but still, even to this, this day, um, she's missing, I think she says about four or five minutes of memory. That's something else CO2 buildup does. So she doesn't really remember that bottom part. She doesn't remember us pulling her up off the bottom and getting, and getting out of there. So that's just kind of terrifying to me, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess yeah. it's like the, the proof is of the training was yeah. that turned out right. You know, everybody. Yeah you noticed right away that something was amiss and were able to respond and react and everybody kind of just, you know, you fall into your role that you need at that time. And yeah, it's, it's, yeah. um, this kind of brings me to like this thought, you know, about these, the passion that, um, you know, citizen scientists that will call you guys citizen scientists, right? Like doing mm -hmm. this purely for the passion of it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that 
you know, you would be diving anyway if it, if it wasn't for these sponges. But sure. to take a really particular um, kind of project like this, was it, did you kind of know right away that this was going to be, that you were going to really enjoy this? Or what, like when it, when it was presented to you, you were like, mm -hmm. okay, this is an interesting challenge that that's going to entice me? Or was there something yeah. about when you see the environment, you see the sponges for the first time and sort of grasp like what we were talking about that these these things are so old and stuff like what was these moments like when you yeah. saw them and, and it's what, what's the motivation i guess is it the dive is it the sponges is it everything yeah it, i i think initially for me when when uh, glenn first contacted me um you know i, I mean i've i've done uh, well i've done a couple thousand decompression dives over the years uh, and I've done hundreds of dives past that sort of 60, 70 meter or, you know, 200 foot. I've done, I've done hundreds of them. And I was always looking for something different. Um, you know, I, I, for me, it was, you know, I, I can go out and be for, for, for a week or a weekend, or I can go out and be a kind of my own explorer. Um, mm -hmm. And so that initially was Glenn contacting me saying, hey, I've got some interesting sites to do. I didn't understand the significance of the sponge at first. I, you know, um, he didn't get into great detail with me right at the very beginning. He just, he needed me as a diver to go down and help out. And uh, so that was, that was the intention at first. Um, I still remember the very first one I did and it was a bit awe taking to get down there. And um, one of the biggest challenges we have is actually the filming um, because mm -hmm. it's, it's such a dark environment and um, there's not a lot of people who actually film, as it turns out. Um, again, something I didn't really think about until we started doing it, but uh, filming past the 200-foot mark, um, very few people are doing it. Um, very few people are doing it in larger teams. And uh, so that really, to catch those images. And so even the very first time we went down, um, and when we started, we started with, you know, we had a couple of GoPro cameras. We had a homemade video light that my, my dive partner had made, put together. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we didn't have anything really fancy. We, I mean, we, the life support equipment for sure. That's the, we, we had all that. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. you, you need that to be there. Um, but uh, as far as, the, like I said, the filming. So I'd go down there and we'd have this, you know, just a sort of little rinky-dinky light. And, you know, one guy would hold it and I'd hold, hold the camera and we'd try to you know, just, you know, film a couple of the animals. But what you couldn't see or you weren't able to see on the camera um, that, but that your eye could actually pick up is, you know, as I'm looking past, I'm lighting up the sponges maybe five or six feet in front of me. And it's, you know, maybe five or six feet in height and nine feet long. And that's about all I'm capturing with that kind of lighting. But it was with my naked eye, I can look behind and there's rolling hills of sponge disappearing off into the darkness. And you realize these sites are huge. I mean, they're, we have one where we've dove on, um, largest to date, and it's about 30, um, 30 acres in size. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you're talking about, you know, thousands of animals of these sponges and, and, and then you start thinking about the, the, the volume of water that they're filtering is incredible you know um dfo uh, the department of fishery and oceans in canada um, they believe and this is depending on the density of the sponge okay so they but they believe one square meter okay now, I'm, I'm talking I'm, I'm talking about rolling hills of sponge disappearing off you know in, in acres yeah. one, one square meter is filtering anywhere between a hundred thousand liters of water a day up to they believe probably two hundred and fifty thousand liters of water and it's taking it's taking again that that plankton 
and that bacteria in that plankton. And that's what it's using as food. I mean, this, this is what defines this, this creature as an animal because it looks like a bush or it looks like a shrub. You know, it's a, it's these yeah, big, yeah, yeah. long, yeah, cynical, you know, uh, formations. They look like uh, almost a pipe organ. And, but all that water, it, they're, they're siphoning. You know, like, like everything else, um, you know, this plankton is made up of carbon. And so it's removing carbon because it, it's using it into its body to grow along with the silica as why they call it glass sponge. And so, you know, it's one, just one site is they say is probably um, reducing carbon uh, footprint, the same as a hectare of old growth forest. So it's right. quite a bit. Yeah. And if we, if we take a look at the, just the nine sites that are protected in Howe Sound. Okay. So we have, we have a total of 17, but just, just the nine that are protected. They figure that they are, removing about 17 billion liters or, or not removing, sorry, filtering uh, 17 billion liters of water. And if you can imagine, I think most people have seen an Olympic size swimming pool, right? You know, you think yeah. you, know, you watch, you know, those big swimming pools. Okay. Well, it's, it's filtering 6,500 Olympic size swimming pools every day. And that's just those nine sites. So to say that they're they're contributing staggering, yeah. I mean to to, to say that you know, oh, there's nothing going on here, or uh, that's not actually going to affect our ocean. Oh yeah, it has to be. There's no doubt about it. Um, right, right. Yeah, it's a huge it's a huge carbon sinks, and so you know the the goal is um, you know to try to help raise enough awareness that uh, we can get the rest of the sites uh, looked at and protected. I mean, at this point, the other sites haven't even been dove. We haven't had even had time to get out and and actually see them. So really? it's been, okay. yeah, yeah. And then even for a lot of the sites, I mean, some of them, they've taken ROVs and they'll go down and, and take a sort of, a, you know, they'll take a transect and sort of buzz, buzz it to make a one way and then cross section and, and sort of look and say, okay, yeah, you guys are right. You, 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 you found this site and uh, we're, we're going to confirm now that it is an actual biohar. And that's kind of the process that happens, but then to get divers down on it is a whole nother process as well. And uh so that's kind of <laughs> right. Yeah, so then that was cool. my that was gonna I was gonna jump in there and ask like what what is the like when it comes to the Department of Fisheries they're the ones that classify whether it's going to be protected or not right. Yeah. So do you have any idea what their criteria was? Because I was gonna say like well we have these other seventeen why aren't they protected? But I guess if you haven't been down there or there's just limited information on it they mm -hmm. can't make the or they're unwilling to make the the designation, but what would the criteria be? Just that they're there at a certain size, like the, yeah, the size location. It's what really. I mean, there's there's a couple of things they're looking for, but in in the end, what it really comes down to is is it a bioherm? So has it actually formed that sediment? Is is it is it? Well, oh, okay. And and again, bioherm is just a, it's a technical term for you know uh, you know old ancient growth, right? And we, we we tend to refer to them as reefs because people can understand that a lot better and they yeah, right. sort of get that image and and they do grow much like a, a reef you'd see in the caribbean where they, they'll, they continue to actually grow um and expand um in in all directions and uh, what you can actually do is when you drop next to it you can see uh, so uh, and you imagine there's a there's a big bit of a big sandy slope or or muddy. I say muddy slopes, but a better way to describe it. Um, mm -hmm. It's almost like a clay. And then you'll see that the right next you see the reef, and you you can see this. And there's five or six feet of sediment that's building up. And so again, these animals are dying off. Bodies are collapsing. New sponge grows from the old, uh, and it and it continues to you know to expand. So if if you 
you know, looking, just looking at these reefs and the, the density, the thickness of them and the size of them, um, they haven't been carbon dated yet. So this is just an educated guess. It's not my guess. It's somebody else's, but um, they figure the reefs that we're looking at here in the sound are probably about 6,000 years old. 6, so, yeah. Okay. So that they've been at this for quite a while and it, it, and it means they're, you know, you start thinking of even going back, let's look at the pyramids, which are about 3,500 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're almost talking you know twice the age of egyptians i mean it's it starts to really be mind-boggling that we're, we're we're actually visiting these guys and some of the animals that we're seeing um right now in the reefs um again it's 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 really hard thing to tell because um growth rates can change it's like sort of saying oh, how fast does a human grow well we're individuals we there isn't you know yeah. there's no such well, thing as we, how good exactly. the food is and yeah yeah exactly how, what, what are you exposed to and so again but we we've seen some and and an added side of guesstimation for the size they are and for the complexity because they don't just grow straight up um they're they twist and turn and are very intricate they you know and you'll have just one animal that's got several different columns coming off in different directions and they'll even twist and do all kinds of interesting things. Um, so we've seen some animals that we think could possibly be up to 500 years old. Um, maybe <laughs> don't, it, it, we just don't know for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, certainly in the hundreds of years old. So again, you know, if, if this was uh, an ancient growth forest, you know, say, uh, you know, in, in a park somewhere locally and people said, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Let's cut those trees down. People would lose it. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, would, yeah. they would never allow it to happen. And, uh, you know, we've been through that once already. We, you know, we, we've, you know, you go back uh, here uh, 150 years and we were cutting down thousand year old trees, you know, thinking yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. it's not no big deal, you know. And so it would never happen now. Um, you know, we're not that ignorant anymore. So it's, it's, but nobody knows they're there or very few people um and so that that's the that's you know what the really push is, is let's let's get the word out there and then people will get behind it and say mm-hmm. hey we, we need to do this not even just for the water filtration part of it or what they may be you know that the positive they're doing for our environment and in our oceans um it it's it's we need to protect them from ourselves is what it really comes down to mm-hmm. i call yeah. it i call it the dodo bird effect from the time you know human beings, we 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 came across a, a, a you know a, the dodo bird. So here, here you know a, we're talking about a flightless flightless bird, right? Yeah. Um, from the time we discovered it to the time we um, pushed the animal into extinction it was only seventy years. Yeah. So that's... it it's staggering. Now you know this is, this is quite, we're going back quite a ways here. So you know we can even fast forward to uh, just uh, in our in our last uh, century. You know, um, you know the, the the passenger pigeon. Um, we it, now it's extinct, gone forever, right? Um, the the Carolina parakeet, you know, we don't get a lot of parrots up here in North America, uh, but they were seen as pests. Um, and again, and so uh, farmers found them as a pest. And so the last one died in the Cincinnati Zoo, in, I think, nineteen eighteen. So we, I, I for me, I think we, we just it's, it's a big call. It's like slow down. We, we know they're here. They used to be all over the world. Now they're not. Oh, um, we thought they were extinct and oh no, you know, we, we rediscovered them and they're already on the endangered species list. So can we slow yeah. down just enough to, to say, so, Hey, you know, and, and here's, here's the best part is they're at a depth range where we can put divers um, and, and start doing a bit of studying. Like what, what, what why yeah. are they here? And, and uh, you know, why haven't they died out here as well? What, what makes uh, this area un- unique that they've survived? Yeah. Lot, that's, and, I mean, 
lots of questions like, very exciting <laughs> yeah well i was gonna say like there's so many things there like it's like to get a second chance you know you mm. thought they were extinct and then turns out oh hey no we have a second chance here so let's let's not screw it up kind of thing and then just like even with the other species that you mentioned the the extinction thing it just yeah i see it's so you know like these things have been around these animals have been around for millions and millions of years and we can come along and just accidentally sort of you know wipe them out in 70 years like oh sorry too bad it's 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 a little yeah so i think that's important stuff but so then when you were talking about um being down there and you know sort of how old these things are and you're in the presence of these things all i could think of was how nervous are you to like hit them and like break one or something like yeah and like how fragile are they like when you're manip- when you're going through with the cameras and stuff you it must be yeah. a worry right sure no we we we've, we are very careful in that once you know the the, the more the difficult parts of, of the dives are actually descending down because you got a lot going on and then of course coming back up again and you're and you're you're switching through moving through different life support systems um being once we're down there we're we're fairly stable um we don't uh because this is a little different like a normal normally somebody would drop down the water and you're almost like a tourist you're just you're just going on a sightsee uh it's like mm-hmm. going for a walk in the woods you know and i'm, I'm yeah, walking around yeah. i you know and i'm enjoying the scenery um we're really going down there for work purposes we're going down there and and right away it's you know we're we're, we're signaling to set up lighting and get somebody in a shot and so but yeah, we have to we have to be, we move very gingerly. We're very slow and very deliberate. Um, imagine too, we're wearing about four hundred pounds of equipment uh, per diver <laughs> in the water. So you know, once you're at that kind of you know state, you're 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 not moving quickly no matter what. And so it's right, a very yeah. sort of yeah, you just very slowly slide into position. Um, of course, also using cameras, you don't want to be jiggling. I'm you got to remember I'm in three dimensional, a truly a three dimensional world now. If if I want to go up. 10 or 15 feet that way, I can just do it. And yeah. so, I mean, when you, when you're walking around on the ground above water, your feet are planted. Um, and it's really easy just to hold still and hold a camera. And then of course, most of the time when people are shooting something, any kind of semi, even semi-professional, there's tripods and you know, anchor systems and everything. We have none yeah. of that. We right. really are floating. So I've got to go down there and hold that camera absolutely still as I can. That means not a lot of movement and I'll, I'll record and then I'll stop. And then I'll say to the guys, okay, I'm going to move over there and take a shot. So look, look at me. And I, and I always, I always nag my team. I say, I want you to be pretend that you're looking at the sponge that's in front of you, right? It's sort of that kind of that that shot of like, oh, look, what's the diver looking at? Yeah. Um, but really, what you're doing is you're sideways looking at me because every time I wave my hand, I want you to go up, down, back, or forward, and, and you're taking direction. Um, and if you start looking away, and it's hard, it's really hard not to when you're this, you're that close to the animals. Um, and you really kind of get sucked into looking at them. They're so alien looking. It's they're you know, it's um, and so intricate. Uh, so it goes back, you know, you asked me before, why, why do I keep doing it? And I think at first it was the challenge of the dives and it was interesting. Um, we were the first human beings to go down and actually physically visit these guys. The first human beings to ever, you know, go onto the sites. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one, there was one site they beat us. They, they had, they got a sub that came out and did a, did a couple dives on one of them. So they beat us on that one, but for everything else, it's been people actually, you know, on them, on, on the site, uh, uh, involved in it. So now for me, it's, I go down there and I kind of get emotionally attached to these guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've gone down on, on, uh, a number of the same site over and over again. 
And uh, it, it, every time I go down, it's a little bit different than it was before. And you see something a bit more um, where you see another animal. Um, we've even seen a case where one, actually one animal fell over into another. And that second animal actually took on the material of the first one. They blended together and, it hel- and it held the other one upright. And so they survived together in that way. And you think that's right out of like a science fiction movie, you know, like, like yeah. people, we, we can't do anything like that. We don't have the capabilities. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, they've also um, just, just thinking about the, the uniqueness of the animal. But for, for me, that's, I, get caught, I get caught up in that now. It's, um, you know, I always, I almost have classical music playing in my head as I'm yeah. diving along, looking at them. And it's just this kind of like, ah, uh, and I'm, I'm in a, I'm in an alien world. I mean, we're, we're not meant to be there anymore. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 No, it's, that's incredible. I mean, that, that feeling of being the first person in some place, you know, like that's yeah. in a lot of ways, that's kind of the human story. I mean, that's why we started sailing across the oceans to find exactly. new places. We made it to space and, and for folks like yourself that want to dive, like that's kind of it. And it's not a lot of people get to say that they've, they were the first person ever in a spot so that's that's yeah. really, it's not mind-blowing yeah you know brad we know more about the surface of the sun than we do our our own oceans like it, yeah. it's you know i think that's i think that's also just what people do we we you know or what we have done for probably thousands of years is we look up you know mm-hmm. the stars used to tell us stuff you know it's where yeah. our, it's from it's where it's you know so it's very important um, and I think being underwater was just so far away. It was, it was in fact, you know, going going in the ocean was dangerous. You talk about fishermen seeing, you know, giant squids and all this stuff, you know, the drawings that go back. And so the ocean was something that was to be feared and it was dangerous. And and I think now sort of the place we are in our evolution is now we're starting to look look a little harder at it going, you know, we wouldn't be here without this ocean, without this water and the way it is. And, and the fact that, you know, this is a closed system. All the water that's ever been on the planet has always been here. This, this is, this is it. And it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a cycle that we go through. And so, um, I can go for a, I can go for a dive, even just a normal, you know, normal depth. So, um, I was out the other day and did, uh, about 40 meter dive. So, I mean, it's still considered a deeper dive, but not, not, not a, not a technical dive. And I came across probably 40 different, easily, 40 different species of fish on one dive. You know, I, I can't go for a walk in my woods in my neighborhood here and see more than, you know, 15 or 20 birds. And it, it's the density of, of the life that even we're just seeing just on the coast here. And, you know, and this, this is no particular special dive I'm going on. This is just a dive. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the really interesting thing is they don't run away from me. You know, if I saw if I saw a deer in the in the, in the woods, it'd be great. Stop! You look at the deer; it look at you, and off it goes. Yeah, uh, these guys will swim towards you. You know, you, yeah. they know you're not there to hurt them. You, you, they have probably never seen you before, so it, it, their engagement to us is more of a curiosity. Um, and they'll come right up to you. I've had you know, uh, large, very large lincod. You know, some some of these guys get five, six, or even uh, feet long. You know, big. Uh, usually the females. And uh, they are not scared of me at all. They couldn't, you could walk, or sorry, swim right up to them and, and, and pretty much you'd have to touch them before they'd move. Um, so, so you get a, a really large uh, engagement from the underwater life. And so that's also what these reefs are doing, though, is, uh, you know, they're, because these structures are there, it's attracting 
other life to it. So they're using right. it as protection, you know, so the smaller fish can get in there and hide from the larger fish. We've got all kinds of um, crabs and shrimp that live in and around. So at night they might come up, up into the, uh, into the, uh, the beds, the sponge beds and reefs. And then during the day they'll out, they go to go catch food or, or whatever they're going to do. And so, you know, we're seeing uh, these large schools of rockfish, which are an endangered uh, fish here. Um, and to the lincods and i think there's something 85 different other animals that live within the reefs and use them as shelter um there's even been you know a a, a sort of a proposal for saying you know or an idea i guess i would say that uh is uh are the sponge beds an actual nursery for some of these, some of these uh, fish? No, and there's no, we don't have any proof of that, but it's just a theory of what some of the divers are seeing when they're on the reef, you know, and they're saying, Hey, wait a minute. Are, are they actually using it uh, for their young? So there's, you know, again, more questions. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah. No, it's, well, and it's that's how uh, these things, uh, that's how these things go. Right. Is once you, mm -hmm. you, you find the thing, it's interesting on itself for that. And right. there's a goal to conserve it preserve it that's one goal but then now you have the opportunity to look at all these other things and that was one of the other yeah. things i wanted to ask you was what is the beyond you know mapping them sort of getting the footage getting people engaged and then the ultimate goal of protecting them what are some of the other things maybe that less, like are you working with um some scientists and stuff right now mm -hmm. uh, to ask sort of specific questions? Is there sort of active research going on on the sites that you're that you're involved with, or you're helping out with, advising, anything? Yeah, so there, there is. And um, I mean, and there's there's really, um, there's a couple of different groups really. It, and it's, it's not just, I'm, I'm just, again, I, I was brought in for a part of a specific project. And, and like you just said, I think what, what we're looking at now is, okay, so we've, so through, there's a group, a local group, a uh, citizen science group, and they're called the Marine Life Sanctuary Society. And they have a lot of different projects, a lot to do with protecting rockfish and educating people. And, um, but they've, they're also a big contributor uh, in, in the sponge, uh, in the protection. And Glenn Dennison, who, who's the, again, the gentleman who initially discovered the reef, he's actually, he's the president of that group. So he okay. brought us in. So we're we're sort of a you know, working in parallel. But then there is other there is other research going on out there. Uh, not a lot of it, unfortunately. Um, and and that's part of the problem is is again working at these depths. Um, anybody who does it, like, if you look at look at DFO, um, most of their um, research is going to be done with a, um, a, a submersible vehicle because mm -hmm. you can't you know it, it, these these depths we're we're doing. You, you, there's there's a couple of the reefs that are a little bit shallower, and even then, are they're they're still deep enough that most recreational divers won't have more than about five minutes on the reef, and you got to get out of there, mm -hmm. um, due due to gas supply or you know the buildup of of inert gases in your blood. So people are really limited to what they can do. So that's again what I'm sort of doing is going, hey, I'm I'm I want to help. I want to give me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some questions. What do we want to answer here? So moving forward, yeah, we got some different ideas. And, and there, I'm like I said, I'm working with two people right now. That uh, um, one's a sponge specialist, and the other one is 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 uh, doing their PhD in it. And it's to I think initially we want to do is make a um, a video library of the sites. Okay. So instead of going down, just finding some interesting animals to shoot to to bring back here. Hey, we, we've got evidence. Let's let's now show the people who need to see this. 
Um, it's more of a, well, you know, if we could go across and start doing some proper transects, you know, maybe put in, even put in some markers so we, we know exactly what location we were in last time. And then from there, we can start going back, like, you know, just be almost like a grid pattern and actually film the reef. So we go down, let's say we take one of the, one of the reefs and say, okay, um, in 2021, this is how this reef looked and film mm-hmm. the entire reef. You know, uh, some of them might be too deep and too big to, to get a, or may, may take us just a long time before we can get a, a real, they like might not be able to do it in a year. Might, you might be able yeah. to do it. It takes a couple of years. So maybe this is the way this reef looked between <laughs> 2021 and 2025, yeah. but we could, we could probably start with some of the easier and um, some of the easier, I mean, shallower reefs. And uh, those ones are also at more risk because there's a little bit of temperature change. The really deep ones, you don't really see temperature change. The shallower ones, we are seeing a bit of uh, temperature change. Right. And uh, um, and so, and also any kind of um, illegal fishing that would happen there. Um, again, they're a little bit more exposed. Um, anything, you know, it's. It, any kind of nets that might uh, float through the water. So you, you, can have, you can have that sort of ghost, ghost nets that will come through. Uh, luckily, we haven't seen any on the reef systems here. Uh, well, I've seen some small stuff. I've seen some small, uh, I wouldn't call it commercial fishing. I'd call it recre- recreational people um, who are just out there, are, are just ignorant. They just don't realize what's below them. Um, they yeah, don't realize yeah, yeah. they're in the, even in a restricted area. And that, you know, they're, they might be fishing for, you know, uh, nothing to do with, with the reefs or, or any of the, the life that's on there, but they, they're coming in contact with that. And we've seen fishing line down there. So it's, I, I mean, you see it on most, even most dive sites, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stuff's not even near them. You, you run into these things. We're all the time grabbing this uh, this thing and trying, trying to roll it up as much as we can and shove it in a pocket and, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> remove it if we can. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that makes sense then, like, you know, making a more detailed map like going over it so you could so you can actually compare year to year growth or you know reduction in size you know yes not but yeah that kind of thing that's interesting and if there's if there's damage if there is contact somebody made contact with the ground and we can sort of say okay that that happened in this area and let's keep an eye on the sponge around that area Um, and one of the things that also happens is uh, it doesn't even take physical contact, like like a like a hit, for mm-hmm. instance, because obviously that that will do damage to them. They're they're fairly brittle, mm-hmm. um, but even if if the ground, the and the sediment around them is really stirred up, of course, what happens is all that comes up, and then will get pulled into their bodies as they as they're sort of pumping away, and and the current is is creating suction. Right. That that sediment will get pulled through their bodies, and they'll actually get clogged up, and it can harm them. Right, um, and like a clogged air filter or something, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, you, even if you had a large ship, you know, go over top with large bow thrusters and that kind of thing, you know, and it, you're turning up, you're causing a lot of uh, turbidity in the water and you could turn that stuff up and it, it could actually suck it in as well. So it's, you know, you think here's here's a, one of the shallower reefs that's only, let's say, 120 to 140 feet underwater or sort of, you know, 30 to 40 kind of meters um that that's now a possibility so right. i think it's trying to maybe get um you know uh, uh, some uh, sort of build a library of these shallower ones um as soon as we can but mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. it's weather dependent currents uh availability of when the team can go out because everybody's volunteers you know we, we generally right. this happens on the weekends because everybody's got families and jobs and all the rest of it um there has to be availability of the charter boats to be able to take us out 
Um, and so, you know, and weather's a big one uh, in Howl Sound. Yeah. Pretty, weather turns pretty quickly and uh, it, can, it can get dangerous if we're not, uh, if we don't hit the right weather window. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then, so you said you, you, you got a sponge specialist and a PhD on the team and this idea of your expertise is sort of overlapping is really interesting to me because mm-hmm. like, they could maybe come to you and say, well, this is a question that I have. And then you with your expertise in diving and some of the equipment and what's available could then maybe be like, well, here's how we might solve it. Is that, right. is that sort of the relationship going on? And is there a yeah, the- example maybe or something? Cause that, that to me is so cool that you got like, you know, the science question of, you know, this is the biology that I want to understand. How do we practically get that information? That's, it's a great yeah. science that I think a lot of people don't really understand is how. Yeah. And it's, it's collaborating with people who, who understand, you know, how to ask the questions. Like what, yeah, what do we yeah. want to know? Um, and, but even within the, uh, the MLSS, there, there's a, a couple of volunteers who are marine biologists. So again, you can you know, bouncing questions off of um, lots of different people in the group. Um, and, uh, and then also collaborating with, with DFO, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they may even come back and say, they got some ideas uh, or, they, they noticed something when they were out with their ROV, which doesn't, uh, you know, it, it's, it all comes down to money too. These are, these are not easy mm-hmm. things when you, when you're taking a large ship like that out and you're, and you're deploying ROVs and you got an entire uh, staff of scientists on board and then you got an entire staff running, running a ship. Um, you know, it can be tens of thousands of dollars to do something like that. So it, it, it's, you know, there's, it always, it, it's, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with um, organizations and budgets and all kinds of stuff. So for us, you know, because we're, we're paying our own way and it doesn't cost us the same to get out as that's kind of, I think it sort of falls back on us to try to get them as much information through, um, you know, f- through those visuals. Right. So we, we, we can say, Hey, we have an idea or a theory. Um, let's get down there and, and film some of that and then get it back to the people um, right. who've got the, who've got the sharper eye to, when they know what they're looking for and say, Oh yeah, they, they, you guys are right. It, it, it is there or Nope, it, it's not. And we can, or at least nor, nor it's not on that site. So we can confirm that. And that's the yeah, kind of idea. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, the definite collaboration is a big part of it. Yeah. No, it's super cool. Um, so then what has, what, what sort of activities beyond like you got the videos and you know, you got the Instagram account, which is what's the name of the Instagram account again, remind me deep sea glass. Uh, yeah. Deep, uh, deep glass on the dive team. Right. Yeah. Cause that, yeah, people should go check that out. Cause there's some great videos on there, some great pictures and stuff. Is there other places that people can see these images? I mean, the film moonlight oasis was one yeah yeah moonless oasis is moonless i always say moonlight moonless (laughs) (laughs) um and um there's also the mlss the marine life sanctuary society Mm -hmm. um they've they've got a great website as well um yeah you can find us you can find our our directly our team um and we we just changed our name um just recently to sort of but try we thought we'd try to better reflect um the research that we want to get into doing and so we we call it the uh, glass sponge research um team and that's you can find us on facebook and it, it, that's a bit more casual we just throw up like if we've gone down a dive and we want to share images of people again more of it as an educational kind of thing piece um and of course before covid came along and, and changed the way we live um we used to go out and give talks um yeah, you know, yeah, to, yeah. various places to people who were interested and, and engage um local divers but also you know non-divers and i always say it's you know it's it's through through our diving community it, 
is through those people who are divers. So they understand and, and, you know, all divers I know have a love and a passion for the ocean to one degree or another, but it's through them and you going out and talking to your colleagues or your friends or your family members. And, and, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of, you're will become sort of an ambassador for the ocean when you go and spend that much time in it. And, and through that, trying to educate people as well, whether you, you know, you, you're, you're a boater, um, you know, you're a, you're a free diver or a swimmer or you're a kayaker or, or a scuba diver. It doesn't mean you're spending time on the ocean. Um, what goes on below, um, just as important as what goes on above. And so, uh, it's just getting that word out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then do you, do you specifically, have you been able to give, um, sort of talks to like, let's say the, the recreational fishing community or maybe some other groups that, like you said, like maybe they don't know that there's a protected area under them and stuff. And like, do you engage with those people? And what is the reaction if you do? Like, do that? Are they kind of, oh, geez, I never thought of that? Or, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I actually, uh, mid January, I'm giving a talk um, to the Royal Vancouver Yacht Club. And so, you know, so again, these are folks that spend time out on the water, you know, and uh, whether it's, you know, your power boating or sail boating or, and uh, just again, to get the, that uh, message across, because a lot of people sort of say, oh, hey, my friend George told me there's a great place to catch you know, spot prawn. Mm-hmm. And so they'll go out there just as recreational and just throw up, throw a, a trap over the water. And, you know, a couple of days later, come back and pick it up, not realize that um, they were probably really close to a glass sponge reef um, or even hit, hit the side of a reef um, or even drop next to a reef, but then stirred up so much sediment because after the ne- next two days, that reef was dragged along the bottom because of the current a little bit yeah. and went along and stirred up the bottom and caused, you know, uh, glass sponges to again, get, you know, to uh, pull in some of that sediment into their bodies. So that, that's the main goal. Um, we have, my, that'll be my first one into that sort of market is next month to, uh, to try to reach out to that community. But I, I, I get a feeling that once people really understand, um, and again, I'm, I'll go use some of the images that I've obtained from the years of diving them to use that as a tool to get across. Because I can say it, um, but when you when, once you see some of the images, and again, like Moonless Oasis has did a, a really good job of that as well. Um, but uh, that usually is what captures people, you know, and, and yeah. explaining it to them that this is an animal, not a plant. Yeah, they don't, you know, it doesn't think that they're, they're, you know, somebody said to me, well, is there anything easy about filming these guys? And I said, well, the one thing that's easy is they don't run away. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I can swim right up to them and they're not running away. So, yeah. you know, yeah. So that's. <laughs> yeah but, those images are it's a powerful it's a powerful way to get like it's it makes it relatable you know it makes it a real thing otherwise it's just something that some guys talking to me about you know that maybe i care maybe i don't but it was this was came up when i was talking to the moonless oasis guys um was that you know in my experience doing you know biology field work during my phd but this was you know on land in the forest we 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 worked with hunters so we needed hunters to supply us with livers or at least let us know that they had shot an animal so that we could collect the liver and i always found that these communities that use the use the the land in this case the natural resource they 
I was always a little worried that they were going to be, ah, you know, you science guys, whatever. I just want to get out here. And, you know, I guess I had a preconceived notion in my head. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That they were, that they thought I was going to come in and tell them not to do something. But really in reality, what we found was these people were the most engaged and probably the most knowledgeable outside of the, you know, um, that's great. The scientists, you know, yeah. To like, yeah. You know, they knew the spots, they knew where the elk was, they knew how they moved, you know, like all of these mm-hmm. things that me as a guy coming in who knows about the biology of the animal and the ecosystem and the parasite, but that's not that practical knowledge, you know, and I think right. that that's really cool that that's what you guys bring too, as the divers that are in these locations. So you're kind of in that dual role, you know, in between the scientists, giving your sort of, you know, expertise and knowledge and stuff, and then passing that on. So I'll, I hope that the the yachting community is is a similar is a similar response. But I'm always yeah, kind of no, fascinated I, to see how the different stakeholders react in these kind of things. Yes. Yeah. It, and I, I actually, you know, the, the footage you saw in Moonless Oasis um, and uh, they, they were very, they, they sort of saved it for the end. That was sort of the build up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and there's only a, a number of minutes if you see of it, but it, it the stuff we caught, um, you know, we were really happy with. And I remember the uh, Nate and Bryce, the, the director and cinematographer got together with Jeff, um, who's, who's our local sort of sponge specialist. And he, uh, he, or sorry, doc, Dr. Jeff Marley, so I should say, um, he, he, uh, I saw they take, they filmed him watching the footage that I'd shot and he's just, it's unbelievable. He's almost gripping the computer and looking at it and he turns to them and goes, that's incredible. And looks yeah. back at it. Like he's just, and, and, and he was a, he'd sit there and pick out all these little details that I, I wouldn't have saw. I was down there just doing Oh my God, hold the camera still. No, nope, make the lights higher. No, nope, move over that way. Okay. You know, it's that practical of capturing it, but I don't have the expertise to look at that and say, Oh, I see what I'm capturing. Yeah. I just know that it's good footage. So I, uh, I, I love hearing what he's got to say after the fact. And then I learn a whole bunch more of what, you know, and then the next time I go down, I've got a better trained eye through him, you know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and, and through, and even through, um, um, the other, the other, um, person who's doing your PhD, Jessica Schultz, same thing. I, I'm, I'm probably every, at least once a week, picking up my phone and texting or calling her going, I have a question. I just thought of this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the poor woman's like, okay, I'm not done with you, buddy. Leave me alone. Yeah. But uh, no, they're always willing to help out. And, and uh, because I think that for them too is, uh, um, you know, in, in Jeff's case, he's, he's made a whole entire lifetime. Um, around these animals, you know, his, his professional career, uh, amongst so much other things, you know, he was doing at the aquarium, but this is one big push for him. And, uh, um, you know, so what we can actually learn from him and it makes us better, re- I, I would say field researchers, let's, let's call us that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. where, where we're, you know, going out and capturing it. So it's, it's a huge, it's a huge help and, and it, it's a great collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's so exciting. I get excited just talking to you about your, your, your energy, your excitement about it comes through. So it's, it's really cool. Um, so then just kind of winding up here, I'll ask you, Mm -hmm. what was your, what's sort of the favorite tidbit that you've learned that you like to pass on to, to other people about the sponges or the ecosystem or whatever. And then also like, what are the plans sort of moving forward? What are the next steps with the dives? How, where is it at? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's a tidbit? Um, or like think, fact that like blew you away when you, you know, you've already given us so much information about this. Yeah, yeah. But was there something that like, whoa, 
I, I think I think it was two things that keep coming back to me, and it's it's that you know we're not dropping down onto um, let's say like a, a small little uh, couple of bits of sponge on, hang off a rock. You know, it's not uh, the size of say you know your you know your your friend's swimming pool. You know, it's it's, it's a lot of these sites are massive. Yeah, um, we we couldn't even swim them on, in a single dive. We just we just just no time to do it. Um, and so we we go down. We, we're doing little bits of it. So it's the sheer size um, of these reefs. It's it's that it's that incredible age. Because uh, I'll say six thousand years, and oh yeah, but you stop and <laughs> six thousand years. Yeah. Um, you know, hundred hundred fifty years ago, we were cutting down thousand year old trees. We'll never see them again. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a few places in the world that they didn't do it, but, you know, a lot of places they did. And we'll never see those, uh, you know, a tree like that again. Mm -hmm. um, and so here we are with, they're so old. If, if we lose them, they're, they're gone. This is it. Yeah. Uh, this, yeah, is yeah. Our, this, is, this is our chance to, to, to make a difference. So, um, and the amount of water that they're filtering. I, I just, yeah. it just, it's, it's, I mean, it, these animals live in complete darkness their entire lives. Um, or most of them do. The, the, the deeper reefs, absolutely, there's absolutely no light, and or, or light that our human eye could pick up, at least anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and even the ones that are shallower are still, you know, there's a, a slight green tinge kind of when you're down there. If you turn the light off, still can't really see your own hand. But you, 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 if you let your eyes adjust, you can see immediately around you a little bit. But they spend their entire life just just sitting in these spots and pumping that water and filtering that water, you know, and that to me is it's just crazy. It blows me away when I'm down there. Um, so that's, that's, that's probably the, the two or three biggest things for me. Um, move, moving forward. Well, I, I think this is, I think this is the exciting part is we actually have way more questions than answers. Yes. And I think, I think as a, you know, as a citizen scientist or, or an actual scientist, you know, it, I, I think that's the exciting part is it, it is a real discovery. It takes more than um, a few people to make this happen as well. There's, there's a lot of people involved. Like I always say, I'm, I'm just one of the divers involved with it. Um, and, and we just happen to be, you know, doing the, the slightly deeper stuff. Um, but uh, there are so many people putting in thousands of hours of time over the years um, in, in either, you know, working on protection primarily. And mine would probably be the, the, the collection, the evidence of collection and then the educational part of it. You know, I'd spend a lot of time, you know, like going around trying to talk to people. What would I like to see in the future? I, I think the video library is an important one. I think we, if we can actually get an entire look at, at a site, if we can start marking the site so we can, we can keep coming back to the exact location, um, we could even, if we're marking those sites, you know, uh, put on their marks so we can tell how fast are some of these animals growing or, or they, is there different rates in different areas, which I'm sure I, my gut feeling would be yes, that would yeah, be true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like I said, uh, you know, one of one of the researchers is uh, working with the DNA, and I think that would be a really interesting one to get into. Although it can be very very expensive, um, is uh, sort of identifying. You know, it, do we have family groups here? You know, is or is this even this site? Because we have we have actually a couple sites where there's what we call there's a bioherm uh, in the shallows. Okay, so 120 to 140, 150 feet, and then right below that site at say 250, 260 feet is a second site. Are they related? Yeah. 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 You know, and, and that might, might explain to us at some level, how are these guys moving around? Yeah. Cause, cause we know that they, like, like we've got 17 sites in the sound. 
you know, was there was there two sites that sort of fed everything else, and and how are they doing that? Because we don't really understand that part of it. They don't they don't get up and walk around, yeah. you know, or, or swim around. You know, they don't. And so, uh, what are they doing to get that their that material? Because somehow they must be releasing into the water column, it drifts along, and you know if it finds the right ground and, and the right amount of um, you know contact with the ground and the right sediment that it starts to grow uh, a whole nother reef or maybe not a reef, but it's just uh, a small garden starts to grow, you know, individual mm-hmm. animals or groups. groups. Um, again, I think that would be a really useful piece of information for us to know, you know, and, uh, and then the other one is, is still searching for more. And, and uh, what we found, I mean, a good portion of how sound area has been, has been um, surveyed for them. Um, so I don't know if we're going to find any more in the sound, but even outside the sound, is is there more out there? Um, mm-hmm. But that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a real, that's a huge project to get into. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I, I would love to say, and again, in my heart, I, I want to say, I really hope there are more. I hope these aren't the only ones, because um, then it makes a a lot better chance for these guys to survive. You know, have longer term survival. It's not just in one area. Mm-hmm. Um, the one the one downside, Howl Sound is very close to a major city. You know, two point two million people, and um, and uh, we ha- we have a lot of activity on the water, and uh, so you know, again, th- that that decreases, I think, their chance. Um, you know, or if we get like a big, you know, LNG uh, gas plant at the, to- at the top of House Sound, we're going to have these huge, you know, eleven hundred foot freighters going back and forth through the sound. Definitely going to affect, um, yeah, you know, their viability. So, you know, it, it, all these things. So, I you know, ho- hopefully there is more out there, but again, it's. Um, that's a whole nother project, but if mm-hmm. we can even just get the ones, the rest of the ones in our, in, in our area protected, yeah. um, you know, that would be, that would be fantastic. And then the other one is the enforcement because they're protected right now. And I, you even saw in the documentary, it was brief, but you saw those, um, those DFO officers. Yeah. Uh, and that's one boat. And I think you go back a number of years, there was one officer in one boat. And now there's one boat and three officers <laughs> uh, is what my understanding is. Yeah. And they'll, they'll cover all the way from the very top of Howe Sound, which is a small or a small city called Squamish to all the way down to the opening of sand and all the way across, you know, to the Sunshine Coast. That's a huge body of water. And, and a lot of what gets attention are the larger animals. So we've got the killer whales and the gray whales and the humpbacks, you know, which are all absolutely important creatures. Um, but that's something somebody that's more tangible. They can see it. You know, they can see that beautiful animal, and they can connect with it and say, "Yeah, you guys got to keep your boats away from these guys and stop stop harassing them." Yeah. Uh, in the in the meantime, as they're busy doing that, all the small stuff's getting missed. I know that in a couple of cases where um, a couple of the individuals, you know, from MLSS or uh, you know, or, or, or live on the coast, um, have seen people dropping traps, and they'll call it in, and a week later, the trap's still sitting there. You know, and yeah. it's in a restricted area. You yeah. Know? So it's that's frustrating. You know, it's, yeah. we wish, you know, and again, uh, you know, most of these people just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's back to the, ed- it's back to the educational piece. You know, Which we can get in the word out is, is half the battle, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was out, we were out to once, uh, uh, just last summer and, uh, I came across uh, a trap that was marked, um, you know, in, in the restricted area and I put, threw it up on Facebook and, almost immediately somebody said, Oh, I know that person. I know that telephone number and I'm going to call them and tell them they got to get the thing out of there. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, there are people out there in the care and, and, uh, and I think, you know, once that person found out what, what she had done, I, I I'm sure she's not doing it again. So that, again, it's, 
yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll get there hopefully yeah yeah well and i think that you know that's now is kind of as as many problems as there are with conservation and, and stuff that we're facing mm -hmm. i do it does feel like there's more of a conversation more of concern around that especially in younger generations and stuff like that yeah. coming up so i think we have an opportunity to to get the word out and and talk about these things so are you do you dive these sites through the winter or is the weather just like is it kind of on hold now or you wait till spring or yeah yeah it's it's right right now what what the main problem is is it, we, we could we could try to find a window so um and that's the big thing so f the, f the very first thing is we need a we need a day where there's very low uh tidal exchange so you know if you've got a 15 foot exchange you, you the ocean is going 15 feet up and down yeah <laughs> the, the, the amount of water that's moving through the sound is absolutely tremendous you know um, so we have to pick a day where there's almost no exchange. Then we have to go, okay, it's got to be during daylight hours. It's got to be on a weekend. Uh, the team must be ready and available, and the boat has to be available. Um, the weather has to hold out. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, the problem, we're in November, and you know we, we've got tons of rain. we got really windy days. So if we go through all that hassle, get everything else ready, and then wake up that morning and it's, it's blowing 25 knots, we're done. That's And, and that's... That happens. Um, so we tend not to plan to do them around this time of year. I mean, yes, we, if we got lucky and just went out and did a site, uh, but there's so much planning that takes to do the deeper sites that yeah. we just sort of go, you know, let's stand down. It's time for our team to go out. We can do practice dives together. We can dive other sites. Um, you know, we can just uh, go out and, and also just, you know, have some like, non-working fun dives together. Yeah. Um, and uh, focus on that. And then once about February rolls around, the weather starts to change a bit and then we'll say, okay, we got a window between February and March where we could probably get two dives in maybe if we're lucky. And then it happens actually April uh, comes along and we, we get plankton blooms here um, in the area and which is not going to stop us from diving except that the plankton um, block out uh, the, the visibility. Because uh, you have big hunks of plankton floating all over the place, which is <laughs> which is great, which is great for all the rest of the animals, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not great for filming anything. <laughs> so then we got to wait, and we're into sort of June, June, July. Now the weather in the summertime is very predictable, um, and uh, so we get calm water. We got lot, we get a lot more daylight. Um, you know, sun's higher in the sky, and and so we, you know, we get more more direct sunlight. So even some of those shallower sites will get a little bit of visibility on them. And, uh, so that's all really great, but it's also very hot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, so, but anyway, it, it's, you know, it, it's just, we have these windows throughout the year, um, right. and, uh, probably September, February, uh, June, maybe July are, are windows we go for. So if we get in, if we got in four dives a year, we'd be doing pretty good. Wow. At least, at least on the deeper sites, shallower stuff, we could probably get a little bit more, but still it's, it's not, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's not as often. Yeah. It's not yeah. Like every weekend. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> the, uh, like you see, you just go through the steps there, the preparation, the, the, the luck that needs to go into it to get it right. Yeah. No, it's, exactly. it's, it's really, really cool. So I'm happy to, I'm happy that you reached out and that we got a chance to talk. Cause this was, this was really, really great. Um, and I just want to like give you a chance again to let people know where they can find this stuff or, you know, if they're interested in diving, you know, you're, you're doing diving stuff, like whatever it is you want to let people know about, please. 
Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, so yeah, I think I think the big ones were you know if, if you're just if you're interested in sort of uh, following us and through through some of the images and dives we've done, um, you can find us on Facebook as the uh, uh, Glass Sponge Research Team. Um, the ones guy can have a little bit more information as far as from a sort of more of a scientific side of it would be the Marine. Marine Life Sanctuary Society, pardon me, or, or MLSS has got a great site. Um, and uh, those are the people who have been uh, foremost in, in getting protection for the sponge here locally. Um, so those, those are two um, that I would say we, you, know, you could take a look at if, you, if you're interested. Very cool. I mean, I'll yeah. I'll link all that stuff up onto my page. Oh, and and of course, Moonless Oasis. Sorry, I should I should put that. I mean, yeah. Uh, Nate and Bryce worked. Uh, they, they followed us around for a year, uh, and a huge amount of work. And uh, it it's a it's a great snapshot um, of of what it's like to follow a, a technical dive team around and, and to what it takes to get those images and 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 all the hurdles. And I was just going to say that they're at the very uh, the end of the. Um, documentaries that some of the, be the best shots we've done we've gotten of, of some of the sponge um and uh but that what you're seeing there those few minutes took us seven dives just to capture those you know like every, everything having to go right yeah uh, so it gives you an idea yeah so it's a lot of work yes <laughs> a lot of work but a labor of love i guess um yeah no moonless oasis it was a great film and people can look at the episode that I did with them and, and the links there for that too, because uh, yeah, it gives you a really, like I said, those images are both above the water and below the water are just beautiful. I, I miss yeah. the West West coast and hopefully uh, yeah. we'll be able to travel this summer and I might be out there to visit some family and I can, I can kind of recharge my batteries out there. But yeah. um, I don't know if, Oh, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know if, if Nate uh, told you this, but uh, when he when he first contacted me and and we met and we, we sat down together, and uh, he he was interested, wanted to find out a little bit about it, sort of like we are right now, just sit, sitting and talking for you know a bit. And uh, um, he said, you know, uh, what I'm hoping is that they'll go for a 22 minute documentary, which would be a half hour, you know, uh, broadcasted show. Yeah. And and I said uh, I said, oh yeah, that that would be great. And he said, but, you know, they might not. They may only go for a 15-minute, and that would be then just put online. So I said, oh, okay, well, you know, hey, have at it. And and uh, about a month later, I texted him. I said, how's it going? He says, well, I got good news and I got bad news. And I said, oh, okay. Well, what's, what, what's uh, you know, what's, what's the bad news? He said, they, they don't want to do a 22-minute documentary. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, well, the good news is they won't do it for anything less than 44 minutes because they really liked it. <laughs> and I went, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, we're, 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 we're greenlit for a 44 minute documentary. And at that moment, I actually got a bit nervous. I said, Oh, that's a lot of filming. He goes, yeah, yeah I know. I'm nervous too. <laughs> <laughs> that's always that, uh, that beautiful moment when you, when you pitch yeah. an idea and you're, you're passionate about it. And then the, 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 it gets greenlit, you know, and then, then the next moment is, well, oh shit! Yeah. Now we have to do it. Now we gotta, <laughs> now we got to deliver. You know, I know yeah. that feeling all too well. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, I mean, awesome. you please, you're welcome back anytime. It was a pleasure chatting with you. And anytime there's an update or anything else diving related, whatever you're, you have my Thank information. You, you could come back anytime. I really enjoyed the conversation. So. Yeah. Well, no, I really did too. Really, really nice uh, getting to know you and uh, and chatting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if you're ever, you ever do make it out to the West Coast, you have to stop in and say hi. And we may, we'll get you out on the water for uh, for a tour of uh, of uh, at least Topside. You know, some of the sites. And uh, I'll I stick to like Topside it. for now. I'll, t I'll stick yeah. to Topside for now. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Hamish. Thanks a lot, Brad. Take care. Yeah.
there you go. I'm not even going to ask if you enjoyed it because I'm sure you did. Hamish is a great storyteller and his enthusiasm just shines through. I so enjoyed talking to him. So again, Deep Glass Sponge Research Team on Facebook or Instagram. Follow them and check out the Marine Life Sanctuary Society, MLSSBC.com. Get involved, take a look at what they're doing, donate if you can, or just reach out, and uh, they're great people to talk to. Um, follow us, Instagram, Twitter, at BVampairedOn, at TooBradForYou, either one works. You can email the show, TooBradForYou, at gmail.com. Subscribe, like, comment, wherever you get in your podcasts. It helps us out. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate you listening. So thank you for that, and take care. I will catch you next time. Bye for now.